Hello and welcome to NFL First and Gold, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber, alongside Eric Allen, the former NFL cornerback. On today's podcast, we'll focus on the key matchups across the league on the final Sunday of the regular season. Spotlighting the game between the Jaguars and the Texans with John McClain of the Houston Chronicle. But let's kick off the podcast with our NFL insider. Now, it's time for NFL Network reporter Ian Rappaport. It's the Rap Sheet on the NFL on TuneIn. Be sure to check out Ian's weekly podcast, Rap Sheet and Friends, here on TuneIn. Ian, let's start in New York. The Jets were destroyed by the Patriots today at Gillette Stadium, 38-3. Was that the last game for Todd Bowles as the head coach of the Jets? It was. And, and, you know, really not a surprise. This was the news I think everybody saw coming, uh, you know, probably for weeks, honestly. And I mean, I, you know, we talked about it uh, at the time after the, the Bills loss that was really horrendous. And at that point, it was just kind of playing out the string and when the Jets would decide to make the move. Probably not going to be tonight, probably going to be tomorrow, but it is happening. And then the Jets are going to have an opening that, from my understanding, um, is going to be pretty coveted. You know, they have Sam Darnold. They have a linchpin on defense, actually two, Leonard Williams and Jamal Adams, and they have a lot of cap space. That is going to be a job that a lot of really good candidates are going to want. Staying in the AFC East, the Dolphins lose to the Bills 42-17 to today. Head coach and quarterback on the hot seat. What do you see coming out of Miami? Yeah, well, quarter, quarterback, it sounds like that hot seat has already been Whatever the hottest thing you can get is lava, uh, my man. I, lava. I would lava. Yes, it is lava. I, I I do not believe that Ryan Tannehill will be back in Miami, and you know the status of Adam Gase is, from my understanding, very much up in the air. Uh, it does sound like you know there's going to be a meeting tomorrow, and I know that owner Stephen Ross is not happy uh, with the way things have gone, and. Um, you know, simply he believes they should be winning more, and I know it's crazy to fire a coach after three seasons, essentially a 500 record and one playoff appearance. Um, but that could be, in fact, Adam Gase's fate. Uh, should find out tomorrow, but from my understanding, his status is very much in doubt. And, you know, if he becomes a free agent, um, I think he's going to be extremely coveted for a team looking for a head coach, not an O.C., in the past, the Dolphins had interest in Jim Harbaugh. The Jets have been linked to the current Michigan head coach as well. Based on your conversations, will Harbaugh at least listen to NFL offers? I have a hard time imagining he will. I mean, I have not heard it definitively because nobody would, would say it definitively because, honestly, everyone's looking for the contract extension, and I don't blame them. Um, from my understanding, Jim Harbaugh has at the very least, unfinished business at, at Michigan. It is his alma mater. Uh, it is a place that he wants to take back to prominence, and Urban Meyer has left. Um, so I would say I have a hard time imagining Jim Harbaugh is going to leave. Not that teams won't try. The Jets could, for instance. I just don't think he's going to leave. That's interesting. Uh, with the, what happened with uh, the recruiting angle, also a couple guys committed, so I'm pretty sure that Jim wants to stay and see those see those players. On the other side of the coaching news, who do you think is going to win the NFL's Coach of the Year? Well, I, I, to me, you know, there's there's a couple really good candidates. I mean, one is in I was like, I was going to say San Diego. One is in Los Angeles with the Chargers. Uh, Anthony Lynn has just done a phenomenal job um, willing that team. Uh, you know, from 
kind of a mediocre team to to one of the better teams in the AFC. That would be uh, to me a really good a really good choice. Bill O'Brien, same thing with the Houston Texans, win the division after starting zero and three. You know, certainly would be one to consider. But I would say this: uh, John Harbaugh was on the hot seat. People were talking about firing him, and they're up big today, and he's going to lead a team to the playoffs. To me, he would be a fantastic, fantastic candidate for Coach of the Year. Taking you around the league with our NFL insider, Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, you alluded to what's happening in Baltimore with Justin Tucker trying another field goal to increase the current lead of 17-7 over the Browns. How about Cleveland, irrespective of the outcome of this game? Does Greg Williams have a real chance to keep the Browns' job? doesn't sound like he really does. He's going to get an interview but it just doesn't sound like the the things have kind of aligned for him to get that. And honestly, like I wouldn't be surprised if he does not stay as the defensive coordinator as well. I mean, it'll be up to the new coach, but that's just kind of the vibe that um, you know. That's just kind of the vibe that I'm getting. What's going to be really interesting to me is look, he did a great job. Maybe not a great fit with the current group in in um, in Cleveland, but he did a great job willing this team back to over 500 and really has been done a fantastic uh, had a fantastic season does he get another head coaching interview like not the browns but does someone else say all right i'm going to i'm going to hire this crazy fiery guy and we're going to go from there that's kind of what i'm curious about well, hopefully he will not get that offer via the us mail because you know he's been getting those cards and letters and thank oh, you so much yeah. for your information I mean, yeah I, cheap I, shot I, I will say i will say one thing about greg williams yes if he gets one interview he's gonna let it make sure we all know about <laughs> but will it be by facts how about carrier pigeon he's been going old school so. with the technology God, i hope so and thank you for your information your hard work and insights all season long we appreciate you joining us once more on the nfl on tune in look forward to it guys thank you this is nfl first and gold the podcast now let's fact uh three two this is NFL First and Gold, the podcast. Now let's focus on the matchup between the Jaguars and the Texans with John McClain of the Houston Chronicle. The Texans clinched a division championship, beating the Jaguars 20-3. Let's say hello to one of the best in the business. It's John McClain of the Houston Chronicle. John, happy holidays. What would you take away from the victory? Guys, Deshaun Watson was pretty unbelievable, but it was running the ball. Not only he got sacked six times, he got knocked down 12 times, but he also had an option of running or handing off or throwing, and he ran 13 times. He was leading rusher for the fourth game in a row, and that's not good. But the Texans were able to generate 136 yards rushing after averaging 66 over the last four. So that was a positive thing. You know, you like to say the defense played great, and it did, but it was against Blake Bortles, so there probably should be an asterisk <laughs> to it. Uh, John, looking at this team, there's just, uh, just so many – athletic players, great personnel. If you're on an opposing team and you're looking at the Texans, what are the weaknesses of this team? First thing, if I was an opposing team, I'd put three players on DeAndre Hopkins because they do not <laughs> have another receiver who, without Will Fuller, without Demarius Thomas, without their talented rookie, Kiki QT, it's Hopkins or bust. And today, Jaguars elected, as they always do, to put Jalen Ramsey on him. Hopkins had a career-high 12 catches, 147 yards. He set career highs 
with catches and receptions to go with 11 touchdowns, and I just can't imagine why the Jaguars didn't do more against him. But if you take, if you can somehow limit Hopkins, they don't have anybody else for Watson, and Watson has to run a lot. They don't like it, but it happens. There's nothing they can do about their protection. It's been bad all year. He's been sacked 62 times. That's the most an NFL quarterback has been sacked since John Kitna had 63 in 2006. So their weakness is protecting Watson, but he's kind of like an eel. He's slick. He's elusive, and uh, right now he is by far their most valuable player. Spotlighting the Texans. They won the division. They will be the three seed playing on Wild Card Weekend with John McClain, who's been covering the NFL for decades. Check out his great work from the Houston Chronicle. John, the Texans started 0-3 this year. What ignited the turnaround? Uh, when they started 0-3, they had Watkins, J.J. Watts, Devion Clowney, and Whitney Merciless all coming off major injuries in which they didn't have an offseason other than rehab, didn't have much of a preseason or training camp. So it was like they needed those three games to get healthy. They lost by seven at New England, three at Tennessee, and by five at home to the Giants. And then when they won a shootout, 37-34, on the last play of overtime in Indianapolis, that seemed to ignite them. And Deshaun Watson played hurt. I mean, he played with a collapsed lung and a broken rib through the midway point of the season. So no matter how much he gets hit now, he says he feels great compared to them. And uh, they've got to they've got to play better pass defense and uh, than they have lately. But during a nine game winning streak, they were winning close games. They were going on the road and winning close games and. And uh, they had only really what you consider one blowout, and that was 19 points. And the thing is, I think we all probably think that uh, Indianapolis is going to win the game against Tennessee and come here, be a third game, both the first two decided by three points. Both teams won on the road, and I'll guarantee you it'll be another shootout between Andrew Luck and Deshaun Watson. John, great information as always. I know you are a proud Baylor grad, so congratulations on winning that prestigious Baylor Alumni Award. Well, thank you very much, Ryan. I appreciate that so much. I hope you guys have a happy new year. Thank you, John. John McClain's been covering the National Football League for over 40 years. As we continue on NFL First and Gold, the podcast, let's take you round the league on this last Sunday of the regular season with Brad Hopkins, the former All-Pro offensive tackle. Now let's sum up. A wild Sunday to cap the regular season heading into Sunday Night Football with high stakes involved. Tennessee taking on Indy. Brad Hopkins knows all about that rivalry. The former Pro Bowl offensive lineman who spent his entire career playing for the Titans organization. Brad, we appreciate you taking the time. Let's start in Baltimore. Now that the Ravens are going to the playoffs, how dangerous is this team considering how they run with Lamar Jackson and their number one in the league in scoring defense? Uh, they've got some exceptional play from a couple of different rookies. We mentioned Lamar Jackson uh, pretty consistently, but we forget about Gus Edwards, who basically has kind of been the foundation of their offense while they've made this quarterback transition. Uh, it's been easier now that you have the talent that you have on defense and obviously showing up in, in big-time situations, just like we saw at the conclusion of this last game. Uh, you know, for a guy like Lamar Jackson to kind of do some of the things he's able to do. But what we saw him do today were, you know, extend plays with his arm, uh, make big plays and convert first downs with his arm more so than we did, you know, with his athleticism, which is still a very much a, a part of his game. But we're starting to see his evolution, fellas, and, and I think that that's one of the one things that you can see helping them captivate uh, the, the AFC North this year. Wow. I, I think 
when you talk about this football team, they check all the boxes. They can run the football. They have a dynamic quarterback. Their coach has been in big ball games before. And as we saw, the huge interception by a smart play by the middle linebacker. I mean, if there are any weaknesses, where are they on this football team? I can't. I can't. I'm with you, Eric. I think that when you look at you know top to bottom, not only how these guys are coached, but how they have veterans that at every position kind of you know demand the best of everyone. You understand that better than anybody else. You know, when you've got the T sizzles that are still producing at a high level, um, that are the spearheads, the catalysts for these teams, these young puppy dogs learning the way to play uh, the Ravens' way. Uh, it was very easy for him to see and read the eyes of Baker Mayfield while he was being defended by the offensive lineman, getting his passing lanes, tipped the ball to himself, into the ball game right there. Those are the kind of plays that are kind of characteristic of a Ravens-style defense. Taking you across the league with Brad Hopkins, the former Pro Bowl offensive lineman. Brad Patrick Mahomes has put up video game-like numbers. He finishes the year with 50 touchdown passes. At the same time, Drew Brees having among the most efficient seasons of his career. Arguably the best player on the best team in all of football. So who gets your MVP vote? Oh my gosh, that's a great question. You know, Drew Brees has been playing at this level since 2009. I mean, he's almost had to put up four grand every year to at least make the Saints relevant. But this year and last year, we've seen the defense kind of step up and and, and uh, fulfill its end of the bargain. Uh, this year with Cameron Jordan and, and the, you know, obviously the likes of the, of the secondary, the young boys we saw last year still producing at a high level. You know, they're they're one of the favorites, obviously, as they should be. They're a very talented team on both sides of the football this year. But when you look at the moves that Kansas City made. There's nothing wrong with Alex Smith. Am I right, Eric? That's There's right. nothing wrong with him. That's right. And he can play. But when you look at the exceptional talent, the things that this boy does, manipulating the football, his, his understanding of the nuances of the quarterback position, sprinkling some athleticism, this is a bad boy. <laughs> Ultimately, probably one of the most dangerous catches you can see in the game because not only because of his athleticism, Brian, Eric, but because of his understanding of the game. Him not getting rattled when these smart coordinators try and do things to befuddle him. Uh-uh. He's right there, probably in the film room, listening to what Andy would have to say, what he would do in situations like this. And as being tutored not only by some of the best, but he's also got some extremely talented players around him. So, you know, I guess my MVP goes to the guy that I think has the most weapons, probably. Yeah, for sure. About this time, I was all on Aaron Donald, but with his performance today, without a doubt, I had my shovel out a couple of weeks ago, like many others uh, in the media, having about to pour the dirt on the Newlyan Patriots and Tom Brady and all that stuff. Today's performance and how they each week kind of morph themselves into whatever they need to be. I mean, what's going on with this football team? Are, are you do you want the Ravens playing the Patriots uh, or, or do you think uh, the Patriots are, are done and buried? So why are we hating on a team that just finds a way to win? Albeit there is this whole thing like called strength of schedule. And when you look at uh, the AFC, uh, he's <laughs> like really kind of the weakest division, to be honest. Yes. You know, so it's not hard for them to parlay themselves into a playoff situation. But hosting is a different thing. Being away from Foxborough is going to be a, quite a challenge this year. Because dare we say, will this New England team be effective in Arrowhead? Uh, oh, Brad, the pushback would be they've already beaten Kansas City. I know that game was at Gillette Stadium. Kansas City hasn't won a home playoff game since 1994, and Joe Montana will not be starting in January. Okay, so 
Remember last year when they lost to the Titans in the playoff game? Mm-hmm. The, the difference was Travis Kelsey got injured in that for in the uh, I think it was probably going into the second quarter. And it was a completely different game for them once Alex lost him his favorite target. Because before that, if you guys remember, they were kicking the Titans' butt. So it was a monumental comeback because for whatever reason, the rhythm, maybe some of the you know the things that Alex Smith had in comparison to, comparatively speaking to what Patrick Mahomes brings to the table, they weren't effective. But that's in my opinion what got what got the Chiefs speed. Had they not lost that situation like that, I think that the Chiefs maybe even used that as momentum to get into the conference championship. You know what I mean? Because they had that kind of team, you know, with that kind of defense. You know, I think we very we very rarely talk about the Chiefs defense because, you know, they're surrounded in a division with, you know, Vaughn Miller and, and Khalil Mack just left the division, you know, so there are a lot of other reasons why we would talk about other defenses other than D Ford and the likes. You know what I mean? Uh, Eric Berry's kind of been injured as a source, so they haven't been able to rely on him, having the kind of depth of, of pro bowlers and star players like that. But this is a defense that can get after it. This is a defense that, you know, can and Eric, you know what I'm talking about when I say gets Tom Brady looking at the rush. Because if he has to hold on that football, all of a sudden dudes are falling at his feet. You know, like I know, right. this 40-some-odd-year dude, he's going to get the ball out of his hands quick. He doesn't want to take any parts of that physicality anymore. Right. That's right. And that's how the Broncos beat the Patriots a couple of years ago in the AFC title game. Brad, a final thought on what's coming up. It's game number 256. You know all about this rivalry between the Titans and the Colts. No Marcus Mariota tonight out with the Stinger. Andrew Luck has owned the Titans, 10-0 and in his career. How much confidence do you have in Blaine Gabbert, and how many touches is Derrick Henry going to get tonight in primetime? Yeah, see, that's the expected situation. Real quick, I think that the, the, the uh, X factor in this game is going to be Corey Davis and um, Deion Lewis. If you're a Titans fan, I think that obviously the, the favorite would be Frank Reich and company because of the momentum they've gotten so far, how they're dominating the division and playing very well at this point. Uh, but when you look at everyone expecting the ball to be fed to Derrick Henry, I think it's going to be play-action situations. I think it's going to be big plays that possibly could be had by Corey Davis. Not necessarily always trying to throw the ball, stretch the field, but you know, just doing those things that would maybe have the Colts catch their pants around their ankles. That's the only way it's going to happen. And playing sound football, no mistakes. Brad, we appreciate the analysis. Thanks so much for joining us again, and happy holidays from all of us here on the NFL on TuneIn. Happy New Year, Brad. I'm John. Happy holidays. Now let's close out the podcast with the intersection of football and physics. It's time for the Playing with Science Checkdown, where science and sports collide. And for that, we're pleased to be joined by our friend Dr. Eric Goff. Doctor, we'll get to you momentarily first. Let's cue up the highlight machine. Trickeration, help the Lions beat the Packers at Lambeau Field. Dr. Goff, take us through the play, if you would. Sure. We know that kickers want the ball laces out when they kick it. Well, Matt Prater likes the ball laces out when he throws it. When Prater received the direct snap, tight end Levine Toilolo was all by himself on the left side of the Packers line, which made the trick play so effective. Prater threw the ball barehanded by holding it with the laces on the side of the ball opposite his hand. The ball left his hand at 41 miles an hour and 35 degrees above the horizontal, and instead of the 500 pounds of average force he used on his record-setting 64-yard field goal five years ago, Prater needed only an average force of 17 pounds to accelerate the ball for his throw. The ball rotated between 16 and 17 times during its flight and landed in Toy Lolo's hands at a speed of 37 miles per hour. That rotation rate of 470 RPMs is less than the 600 RPMs a quarterback usually puts on the ball during a hard throw. 
and the ball freighter through rotated about eight times faster than the beating frequency of a resting person's heart. The Packers would have had a better chance had someone lined up across Toilolo. But, Brian, what do you expect from a team that gets shut out at home on the last day of the season? Doctor, well said. Thanks so much for the insights again. We appreciate your contributions all season long. That was the Playing With Science Checkdown. All free, only on TuneIn.